Give our students a big round of applause. You know, we know that you see them, but we wanted to give you kind of a glimpse of what they do uh, in the student ministry. I'm here just for a brief moment to tell you a little about the student ministry, and then I'm going to introduce our speaker uh, this morning. But yeah, you, you guys saw that we have, we have these fun events where we climb up warped walls and all that stuff like that. And we have a lot of fun, but you know, there's, an, a, there's a goal to those events. Uh, I, I don't think student ministry, the goal of student ministry is just to keep students' time occupied. What we're trying to do as, as a team, as a leadership team, is to help them grow in their faith. We have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, we play some Chubby Bunny and we eat a lot of pizza. Okay, but we have a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, and so you guys saw, they're a part of groups. You know, we have uh, su- our Sunday services, of course. But, you know, one of those goals of that Sunday morning service is to funnel our students to groups because we truly believe that when they make that connection, that peer-to-peer connection and that, you know, student-to-adult uh, uh, volunteer connection, you know, they're gonna, that's going to help them in life. And that's going to be something, an experience that they draw from from years to come. And then they volunteer. They love volunteering. How many guys, you know, maybe got a high five? You saw some students greeting or like ushering today. I mean, the the band, they did an awesome job. Um, You know, that's one thing that our students love to do. They love to volunteer. They love to give of their time. And uh, and so it's just such an incredible thing. The last thing I want to say is our adult volunteers, man. These guys are rock stars, okay? They're incredible people. And so I just love them dearly. But hey. We've got an awesome guest speaker today for Student Sunday. His name is John Jorgensen, and he's coming all the way from Chicago. He's going to tell you a little bit about how cold it is there. Uh, His wife, her name is Erin, and I'll let him tell a little bit more about himself. But you guys go ahead, and and students, you know you got to get wild and crazy. I mean, that's how we welcome guest speakers in the student ministry, okay? But you guys go ahead and welcome to the stage John Jorgensen today. Thank you. Amazing. Amazing. I said it at the last service and I'll say it again. I'm taking you all with me. Everywhere I go to speak, I'm just going to stick you in my back pocket and then pull you out. You just, you give me a lot of confidence every time before I come out. I appreciate that. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we? How are we? Oh, good. That, that's the right answer. That's the right answer. It's a very easy question. It's a very easy question. So my name is John, and I'm really excited to be with you all this morning. You know, someone told me recently that people need to know 10 things about you before they are ready to learn anything from you, which was terrifying to me as someone who, at the same time, desires to teach people, believes it to be part of my life's mission and purpose to teach people and for people to learn, hopefully, from my own experiences and some knowledge that God has given me, hopefully, but also at the same time as someone who does not like talking about themselves. Anyone else like that? Anyone else an introvert like me? Maybe you don't like talking about yourself? Yeah, that's me. But with the desire of hopefully God teaching you something, I will bite the bullet, and I will share a few things about me. I I am an author and a speaker, as James said, from Chicago, Illinois. And in Chicago, I actually run my own ministry. And this ministry is a little bit unique in that half of the ministry includes me traveling around the country to different conferences or camps or amazing church communities like this to teach and to 
preach. And then the other half of the ministry exists on my YouTube channel. That's right. I am that much of a millennial, all right? I have a YouTube channel. For the last five years or so, I have been producing faith-based videos on YouTube. I have over, over 700 videos on that channel now. And all those videos, they include different Bible study curriculum, short sermons, topical videos on different questions or struggles of the Christian faith, and even a little bit of spoken word poetry as well. Uh, but the heart of it all is I want to help move people forward in their faith. Whether that's traveling and speaking at a different church each week or whether that's making a YouTube video. I, I especially believe that the internet and social media, w with all of the difficulties it comes along with, I also believe wholeheartedly that this is something that can be used as a tool to help build God's kingdom. And, and so that's what I try and do every single day for my apartment in Chicago, Illinois, where I live with my amazing, incredible wife, Erin. I also think that she's pretty cute, but I'm a little biased. Uh, we have a dog. His name is Buckets, and he is a mini Australian shepherd. He is the light of our lives. We love him so, 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 so much. Uh, and as we mentioned several times, I'm from Chicago, and, and, and James told you, I wanna give you a little picture of just how cold it is there, because for me, I love Chicago. Uh, I, I love the people of Chicago. I love the sports teams of Chicago. I, I love the food in Chicago. But one of the things I love most about it, it's not winter itself, but it's the fact that every year around this time, I take a little pride in the fact that I made it through another winter. I, I feel like it earns me a little bit of street cred and maybe even a standing ovation. No, no, oh, one person, one person, no, no, please. Now, I understand, I understand, you all are from North Carolina, you don't know what winter is, right? Y'all bring out your, like, winter coats if it's 50 degrees or less, right? For me, if it gets above freezing, I break out my flip-flops and I go to the beach, okay? So I wanted to give you a little picture of just how cold it can get. Uh, this past winter, many areas of the country experienced what people were calling the polar vortex. Anyone hear about this on the news or anything? Okay. Many areas of the country were experiencing the coldest temperatures that they have seen in decades. And where I live in Chicago, one day I woke up and I looked at my phone and I got my weather alert and I thought my eyes were deceiving me because my phone said negative 25 with a wind chill of negative 50. My heart turned to ice and I died for a moment. And, and that sounds really cold, like, oh, that's really cold, John. I want to give you a, a little picture of, of just how cold that was. This, this is a picture of my back door. Yes, that is ice. And yes, that's the inside of the door. There's another one. It went all the way, it ran all the way up and down and out onto the floor. My back door, it was frozen shut for a day and a half. I could not leave my house. And so while I did not like the polar vortex in the slightest, I do love the fact that I lived to tell the tale. So, so some of these things that I've shared with you, pretty much all these things that I've shared with you so far, the, these are things that generally I, I like about myself. Um, these are things that oftentimes I'll share at a party or I enjoy sharing when I travel and get to hang out with a new group of people and speak to them from the stage. 
But if for the sake of vulnerability, uh, I also would want to share maybe a few things that maybe I don't like so much about myself. Things that uh, maybe I wouldn't share if we were meeting for the first time, but here we are, hundreds of people meeting for the first time. So here we go. A few things I don't like about myself. Let's see. I, I honestly haven't given this much thought, but off the top of my head, I would say... Uh, my hair's too straight, my nose is too small, my thighs are too big, and when I smile, I get a big vein in my forehead. Just off the top of my head. I just ruined the sermon for several people who are just going to be searching for the vein up here the rest of the time. Don't worry, she will make an appearance, I promise you. She is a female, her name is Louise, and she likes to peep her head out every now and then. She is an extrovert. Now, I, I want to challenge you, actually. I, I, wanna, I want you to think for a minute just to yourself, what are some things that you like about yourself? Even for you introverts in the room, when, when you're at a party and someone asks you, well, what are some of the first things that you share? Maybe, maybe you're in a great marriage, right? And you just, you love your spouse. And that's just one of your favorite things about yourself. Maybe you have a great family. Maybe, I know, you have a great church. You know, maybe students, you, you're really athletic or you, you have some sort of talent or skill. Maybe you're really smart. Maybe you have a great job. What, what are those things? What are those things that when I ask you, what do you like about yourself? What comes to mind? Think about that for a second. Now, and I'm not going to ask you to share it out loud, but w what are some of the things maybe that you don't like so much about yourself? Or maybe a better way to say it would be if you had the chance what are maybe one or two things you would change or tweak about yourself? Maybe it's something physical, like me with the size of my giant thunder thighs. Or maybe, maybe it's something a little more serious. Maybe it's relational, like the fact that I'm single. Or I'm not sure. What is it? What are some things that you don't necessarily? Maybe it's a habit. Just think for a second. What are some things you don't like? Now. I want you to raise your hand if when I asked you to think about things you like about yourself, I want you to raise your hand if you found it pretty easy to think of maybe at least one or two things. Just raise your hand if you found it kind of easy to think of a few things. All right, these people are arrogant and they should not be trusted. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Now, okay, now, and again, I'm not going to ask you to share them, but now I want you to raise your hand if when I asked you to think of things that maybe you don't like or things that you would change about yourself, I want you to raise your hand if you at least had one thing come to mind right away. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true, right? I think this is true for all of us. Each and every one of us, regardless of our age or background, the fact that we're a human being means that we have certain things that we like about ourselves, certain things that we're proud of, but it also means that we have certain things that we're not so proud of, certain things that we don't like as much or that we change. And some are you know, really superficial, like a vein in your forehead, but others are maybe a little more serious. Things that you don't want other people to know, or maybe even that you hide from people because you're a little bit ashamed of it. And what I find so funny about those things that we don't like about ourselves is that, have you ever noticed that no matter how many times the people in your life tell you, oh, that's not true, no matter how many times your friends or your family or your parents or your siblings tell you, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Like each and every one of you in here could tell me, John, I think your thighs are the perfect size. Which is a weird thing to say to a stranger, by the way. But each and every one of you, you could try and encourage me on that, but it wouldn't make any difference. Do you want to know why? 
because that's how I see myself. You see, how we see ourselves is important. How you view yourself actually matters. Because how you see yourself, I believe, it will change the way that you live. How you, your view of yourself will change the person that you are when you're in conversations. It will change the person that you are when you go to school or when you go to work or when you're spending time with your family. In fact, we can think about it like this. I believe that when you look at yourself, what you see is who you'll be. What I mean by that is that the person that you see when you look in the mirror, that is the person that you will eventually be in the world. So in other words, if you look in the mirror in the morning and you see a fool, then you will act foolishly. Or you look at yourself and you see a liar, you will speak dishonestly. If when you look at yourself in the mirror, all you see are the lies that people have told you about who you are or the names that people have called you, or the standards that people have told you you didn't reach, the labels that people have put on you, if that is what you see, then that is who you'll be. What you see is who you'll be. And this Sunday, we are celebrating Student Sunday, so a big welcome to all of my students here in the room. I'm glad that you're here. Because I think that this idea of what you see is who you'll be This is true for all of us, but it is a reality that students specifically live in every single day. Because our middle school, high school, and college years, they are extremely formative years. These are the years where we as individuals, we begin to cultivate our identity. These are the years that we decide, this is who I am, or at least this is who I want to be. And so this morning, I want to speak to any young person in the room who looks in the mirror and sees a fool, or who looks in the mirror and sees a liar, or who sees the names they've been called, or or the hateful words that they've been attacked with online, or the ways that they've been bullied. And I want to talk to that young person, and I want to help us find a way that perhaps we can see ourselves in a better, more redeeming way. And I also want to talk to the parents and the grandparents and the ministry leaders in the room. And I want us to get real honest about the ways that we contribute to how young people view themselves. And I want to talk about the role that I believe that we can play and I believe that we are called to play in giving the young people in our lives a more accurate picture of themselves. Because yes, while what you see is who you'll be, I believe that if each and every one of us can learn to see ourselves the way that God sees us, then I believe that we will begin to live as he created us to live. And that's what we're talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. That's the Gospel of John, my favorite gospel for obvious reasons, chapter 4. Today we are going to read a story of a woman. And this woman had one encounter, one conversation with Jesus that completely changed the way that she saw herself. And because of that, it completely changed the way that she lived 
her life. In John chapter 4, verse 3, it says, So he left Judea and went back. He, meaning Jesus, he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So, at the beginning of John chapter 4, we see Jesus speaking with this Samaritan woman at a well. Now, if we were in the first century, if we were gathered in Jesus' day, they would have had to censor two of the words that I just said. Because I just said two first century dirty words. Two first century curse words right there. I just dropped them in church. Those words are Samaritan and woman. Now, it should be understood that during this time of history, it was pretty generally accepted and encouraged that women were vastly inferior to men. Good, I just wanted to make sure no guys in the room were going to amen that statement, okay? I want to be really clear here. I'm not saying that this is right. I'm not saying that this is okay. I'm not saying that this is how God designed it. But it is important for us to understand the brokenness of the first century. We have to understand, if we want to understand what Jesus is doing in this story, we have to know that the simple fact that this woman was a woman worked against her. But this woman was also a Samaritan. And historically, a Samaritan was the result of a Jewish person or one of God's holy chosen people having a child with a non-Jewish person. They were a result of interbreeding, which in the Old Testament, God strictly prohibited. And so these Samaritans were mixed race. And they were treated as half-breeds because of it. They were treated, especially by the Jewish people, as second-class citizens. When the text says that Jews did not associate with Samaritans, that is a very politically correct way of saying that if a Jew saw a Samaritan bleeding on the street, they wouldn't just cross to the other side. They would spit on them, add another cut, and then cross to the other side. Jews absolutely despised Samaritans. And so we're starting to see that a huge portion of how this specific Samaritan woman saw herself was based on how 
other people treated her and how other people talked about her. And that's true for each and every one of us. But this is especially true for young people. Whether we realize it or not, so many of us build our identity using the words and identifiers that other people use to describe us. And so for the parents and for the grandparents and for the leaders and teachers in the room, it's important for us to know that when we say to a young person, you're a liar, or when we get frustrated and we say to them, why do you have to be so difficult? Or why are you always so immature? Or when they make a mistake and we say, how could you be so stupid? Those are the words on which they are building their identity. Just like the words of the people in the Samaritan village, our words as adults, especially in the church, those are the words that students like these are going to use to build their sense of self. And the problem with that is that we as people, we have a tendency to focus on what people do, whereas Jesus focuses on who God created them to be. Jesus doesn't minimize the things that they do, but he first comes along and reminds us, regardless of the mistakes you've made, regardless of how lost you might be right now, this is inherently who God created you to be. And in this story of the woman at the well, we have Jesus, a male Jewish rabbi, sitting and speaking and listening to a Samaritan woman for nearly an entire chapter. You see, while everyone else defines this woman based on what she's done, Jesus reminds her of who God created her to be. And that is so much more powerful than any correction Jesus could give her. And so our role as parents and our role as mentors, and I believe our role as ministry leaders, is not to just remind students of all the ways that they've screwed up. Or how their generation is so lost and so selfish, so social media obsessed. But instead, I believe that our role, the calling that God has given us in the way that we relate to young people, is to remind them of the life that God created them to live, and then invite them to come and live that life alongside of us. And if that's our call, if that's our purpose, if that's how we are meant to mentor and lead these young people, how does that change the conversations that we have? What kind of conversations can we have now? What kind of language can we use to help people see themselves the way that God sees them? So, we're starting to understand how other people in Jesus' day saw this woman. But for the rest of our time, I want to focus on how this woman saw herself. Because if we're honest, especially the young people in the room, we can talk all we want about the words that other people say about us or the comments that we receive online or the bullies that we deal with at school. But the reality is for most of us, you are your own worst bully. The thoughts you have about yourself are far worse than the words that other people could say about you. And so for the rest of our time, I want to focus on how does this woman see herself? But the problem is we actually don't know too much about this woman. But we do know a little bit. The first thing we know is that this woman probably came to this well often. 
this was probably her job, to, to carry this jug or this jar across the desert to fill up water and bring back water for her village. This is something she probably did every single day. The other thing we know about this woman, we find this out later in the text, we know that this woman has been married five times and that the man with whom she is now living is not her husband. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not trying to judge this woman. I'm not up here to shame her 2,000 years later. I don't believe that's my role. But if the habits and patterns of this woman's relationship with men doesn't tell you how she views and values herself, then we learn everything we need to know when Jesus asks her a question. When Jesus walks up to her, he asks her one simple question. All he does is ask her for a drink. And the woman's response is so telling and so heartbreaking. She says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? You see, this woman's view of herself is so low that she doesn't even consider herself worthy to give somebody a drink of water. I wonder what your view of yourself is. I wonder in what ways you came in here this morning and you feel unworthy. What you feel unworthy to do. Who you feel unworthy to be. I wonder how many of us here in this room this morning we look at a picture of ourselves and the first thing we do is we nitpick the things about our physical appearance that we just don't like. My teeth, my love handles, my hair. I wonder how many of us, when we look in the mirror, when you look in the mirror, do you see someone who is unlovable? Do you see someone who is unworthy of attention or affection or relationship? Or, when you look in the mirror, do you see someone who is a carefully crafted creation of the one true almighty God? Do you see someone who is not only created by that God, but who is also dearly and deeply and passionately loved by that God? When you look at a picture of yourself, do you nitpick your appearance or do you think, oh, that's a person who Jesus saw and said, yep, I love her. Yep, I love him. Yep, I'm willing to go to the cross. I'm willing to shed my blood. I am willing to lay down my life all so that I can be with them. I don't think we realize how valuable we are, people. You are far more valuable than people treat you. And you are far more valuable than you treat yourself sometimes. But the Bible's really funny. <laughs> and and, and here's, here's why. Jesus, he makes me laugh a lot. Because <laughs> at the beginning of this story, we just talked about it, what does Jesus do? At the beginning of the story, he asked the woman for what? A, a drink. Which is hilarious because she's the one who is thirsty. Here's what I mean. The, in verse 10, Jesus, he goes to this woman, and he says, if you knew the gift of God, 
and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. Meaning, if you knew that it was me, Jesus, asking you for this drink, you actually would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. And when he says this to the woman, her response immediately is, yes, yes, where can I get this water? I need this living water, because she's thirsty. But then the woman takes a step back. She looks at Jesus. She looks him up and down, and she notices something is wrong. And she says in verse 11, she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. Essentially, what this woman is noticing, she's very perceptive. She's saying, how are you going to give me water, Jesus, when you don't have a jar to fill up? Because as we said, this woman, she knew a little bit about this well. She had come there every single day. She knew that if you wanted to get water, if you wanted to get a drink, you needed a jar to fill up. And she sees that Jesus has no jar. So she says, how are you going to give me a drink of water when you don't have a jar? And I don't know about you, but sometimes I like to imagine Jesus gets a little sassy with people, you know. Like Jesus has a little real housewives in him or something, you know. And I like to imagine that in that moment, he looked at that woman with all the love in the world. And he thought to himself, girl, I don't need any jars Because I am the well. You don't get it. Okay. Um, This woman, she thinks that what she needs in order to fix her thirst problem is more jars. She thinks she needs another jar to fill up. And we do the exact same thing. Some of you in this room, whether you are 17 years old or whether you are 70 years old, many of you in this room, you have had self-esteem and self-image and identity issues your entire life, and you're just throwing jars at the problem. You're like, oh gosh, I'm so lonely. Well, maybe if I got into this toxic relationship. I know he doesn't treat me right, but I have to stay because it's better than being alone. Maybe if I hook up with this person. Maybe if I hang out with this people, even though I know they're doing things that I shouldn't be doing. Oh, I hate the way that I look. Maybe if I buy these clothes. Maybe if I do this diet. Maybe if I do another diet. Maybe if I stop eating altogether. Maybe if I force myself to throw up. Maybe if I try this. Maybe if I do that. Maybe if I drink that. Maybe if I hang out with them, maybe if I give myself to this thing, maybe if I try this jar, maybe this will make me not hate myself. And we throw another jar on top of it and another jar on top of it. But the problem is, as long as you are throwing jars at the problem, you will never be filled up until you change the well that you are drinking from. Okay. Like 60% of you get it. We're still working on the other 40. All right, come with me here. Come with me. If you think about a well or about any sort of body of water, when you look down into it, what do you see, ideally, like in the cartoons, what do you see looking back up at you? Your reflection. And I'm here to tell you that the longer you spend looking into the well of the world to tell you who you are, the longer you spend 
listening to the voices of the people who hop into your comments section on Facebook or on Instagram or in your texts. The longer you spend listening to the voice of your boss or of bullies at school, the longer you spend listening to the voices of the world to tell you who you are, the more messed up and distorted your reflection of yourself will be. A broken mirror can never give you an accurate picture of who you are. Some of you here in this room this morning, you need to switch your well. You've been drinking from toxic water. And you've been wondering why your life continues to be such a mess. You've been wondering why you wake up every day and you hate yourself. You've been wondering why you're so sick. It's because you're drinking from contaminated water. But I believe if each and every one of us, if we can learn to each and every day, look into the living water that is Jesus, then I believe we will begin to see ourselves as he sees us. And then we will begin to live as he created us to live. A few years ago, uh, I was working at a camp for middle school and high school students, and I was charged with creating a couple poems that would help young people understand what their identity in Christ is. In the church, we really love to use that term, especially in youth ministry, identity in Christ. But we actually don't do a whole lot to articulate to young people what exactly that means, what exactly that looks like. And so I was charged with creating this artistic expression of how God views each and every one of us. And I wrote two poems, one for men and one for women. Not because we have totally separate identities. I believe we have the same identity as children of God, but because the world causes us to struggle with differing insecurities. And so to close our time here, I, I actually want to read these poems over you. As a reminder that, that this is who I believe God created you to be. And as I read these, I, I actually want to ask that you do two things. One, when I read the poem for your specific gender, I want to ask that you would stand in a posture of receiving this truth. And the other thing I want to ask you to do is when I am speaking the piece that is not your gender, that you would listen just as intently. Because men, while I speak to the women about who they are, those words are also how we are called to treat those women, and vice versa. And so I actually want to start, if you don't mind, with the men in the room. So if the men in the room wouldn't mind standing, and you can take whatever posture you would like during this. You, you can close your eyes, you can put your hands out in front of you, hands in the air, whatever, whatever you need to do right now physically to receive this. This is an artistic expression of who I believe God created each and every one of you to be. So gentlemen, you are strong. You are brave. And you are capable. You are part of the Lord's most valuable creation. You have abilities. You have potential. You have gifts given to you by the Lord talents that you can share with the world. You are a writer, 
an athlete, an inventor, an artist, a musician, a technician. And these talents will change people. You have joy to spread. You have jokes to tell, kind words to give, and wisdom to bestow. And that joy will change people. You are full of more amazing qualities, traits, and virtues than you could ever imagine, given to you by the Lord who loves you, who loves you no matter who you are, whether you're the big man on campus or you're the small guy in the back of the library, whether you like swinging baseball bats or you like swing dancing, whether you're the fastest or the slowest the tallest or the shortest, the skinniest, or you could lose a few pounds. Whether your dad could beat up his dad or you never had anyone in your life who could fill that role. Whether you feel like the champion of champions or you feel like the loser of losers, regardless of who you think you are, the reality is that you have a responsibility because you have a power inside of you. A power that was formed before the beginning of time in a secret place by the God of the universe. There is a man inside of you, inside of each and every one of you, who is waiting to burst forth and change the world. A man who loves, encourages, comforts, shares, teaches, laughs, cries, and who builds up those around him. That man is where your strength lies. That man is where your potential lies, and that man is where your gifts, talents, courage, ability, and joy lies, and your responsibility as a son of God is to find that man and to set that man free. And when he is set free, he will bring change to this broken world. You will bring change to this broken world. And any voices in your head that are trying to tell you differently are from the enemy. And the next time you hear them, this is what you say. You say, nuh-uh, not me, Satan. I am a son of the living God, treasured, entrusted, and loved above all things by the creator of all things for the glory of him who is greater than all things. I am awesome because I am his. Gentlemen, this is who you are. Gentlemen, have a seat. I want to ask the women in the room to please stand. And women, I always, I always like to clarify this before I share this. Please know that I, I don't believe this to be another guy, another man telling you who you should be or who you have to be as a woman. Again, this is an artistic interpretation of who I believe you already are because it's who God created you to be. So ladies, this is who you are. You are beautiful. You are smart. You are funny. You are kind. You are unique. You are worthy of love and affection. You are never too much and you are always enough. You are precious. You are a diamond, a rose, a pearl, the most stunning of all God's creations. You are worth more than you could ever imagine. Worth more than the numbers on the scale or the hair product you use or the shoes you wear. More than how many girls wish they were you or how many guys wish they had you. 
more than the price tags on your clothes or the percentage at the top of your math test or even the number of followers you have on Twitter. Your worth surpasses all earthly things because in the eyes of the Lord God, you are loved and you are worth dying for. Regardless of who you think you are, whether you model in a magazine or you model pottery with grandma, whether you're on the hot list or the not list, whether you're head cheerleader or a high school dropout, whether you're Miss Popular or you never had anyone that you can call a friend, whether you love yourself and love your life or you can't stand to look in the mirror and you feel as though everything in your life is falling apart, whether you're such a winner or you feel like the world's biggest failure, regardless of who you think you are, the reality is, is that you deserve someone who would give up their life for you because you too are powerful and strong and capable. Read about the women in the Bible. Esther, Ruth, Martha, Mary. These women changed the world forever and inside of you. Inside of each and every one of you is a woman with that same power and that same strength and that same world-changing capability and your responsibility as a daughter of God is to find that woman and to set that woman free. And when she is set free, she will bring change to this broken world. You will bring change to this broken world. And any voices in your head that are trying to tell you differently, they're from the enemy. And the next time you hear them, this is what you say. You say, nah-ah! Not me, Satan. I am a daughter of the living God, cherished, loved, and adored above all things by the creator of all things for the glory of him who is greater than all things. I am awesome because I am his. This is who you are. Now I want to ask everyone to stand. As we close, I want to pray for each and every one of us. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for who you are. Because it is only because you are who you are that you could make us who we are. And God, I pray that these words, these truths of how you see us, I pray that these words are what would define us, God. I pray as we go that they would be written on our hearts so that the next time we look in the mirror, we do not see anything that, that other people may have said about us or we would not see anything that we would even say about ourselves. But when we look in the mirror or when we see a picture of ourselves, that we would only see what you see. And God, I pray that as we find our identity more and more in you, that it would just not make us feel better or give us a better self-esteem. But God, I pray that it would change the way that we live. That when we get an accurate picture of who we are, that we would also get a more accurate picture of who other people are and that we would love them the way that you would love them just as we love ourselves the way you love us, God. I thank you so much for the bridge. I thank you so much for this community. I thank you for these students, God. I pray a special prayer for them. They are such a blessing. They are not the next generation. They are the now generation. They are important now. They can make a difference now. They can do good now. And we are so grateful for them now. Pray a blessing over them. I pray a blessing over everyone in this church. We are who you say we are. Pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for having me this morning. I so appreciate it. I so appreciate it.